welcome to the Onyx Pathcast. I'm this week's host, Eddie Webb, and with me are Matthew Dawkins. Hello. And Dixie Cochran. Hello. I, I know, it, it was like, an oddly perfunctory greeting from me, wasn't it? Yeah, I thought it well, was just match your energy. It was just like, yeah. hello. Yeah, Hello, right. fellow podcast host yeah. that I have been with for two years. <laughs> I am also human. <laughs> oh, great. Not time for another show. Well, bear in mind, we are starting recording just coming off of a very, very punchy conversation, ranging all the way from Sherlock fans to Sylvester McCoy being covered in pigeon shit. <laughs> Yes. I mean, I feel like the listeners would uh, pay extra to hear, which is cool because they don't pay at all right now, to um, <laughs> to hear the 45 minutes or so that we usually talk before we start recording. But uh, I'm not recording that either because that's 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 our time. Right. That's our special time. Although if you come on Discord and ask questions about Sylvester McCoy being covered in pigeon ship, sure, we'll probably go into it again. <laughs> So, obviously, I think most people have got some severe problems with the Hobbit movies. Uh, I imagine most of the people who were in the Hobbit movies have severe problems with the Hobbit movies. Um, I only saw the first one. I, 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 Yeah, I got through the second one. Uh, I was watching it with my wife. It was, on, I think, on a Christmas day. Uh, why we decided to torture ourselves in the name of the Lord, I don't know. But, yeah, we decided to watch... Whichever one the second one is, Desolation of Smog, maybe? I think so, yeah. Smaug, Smog. Smog. I, I always thought it was Smog until in the movie they started saying Smog. And yeah, by the end of it, we both looked at each other, and my wife likes Lord of the Rings a lot more than I do. I've never really been a big. I've never been into the novels, especially. And uh, we both said we are not watching the third one. That that I had the exact same experience. Two and a half hours of our life that was like a. I am. I imagine myself being on a spaceship that was re-entering the atmosphere, and initially everything seemed to be going well, but then it was just a steep, sharp drop towards some very hard, rocky terrain. And we never pulled the nose up once. It was just, we're burning, we're burning, we're running out of oxygen. I can see the earth getting closer and closer. Oh my God, oh my God. Well, at least the movie's over. We've been granted the respite of death. And right. yeah. <laughs> so I first read The Hobbit when I was like nine, right? And that's the only one I ever read, really. Like I just read The Hobbit and I was like, cool. And then I had a friend in high school who was super into like all the Tolkien and she would tell me about things like the Silmarillion and all this stuff. And I was like, cool, I will learn things about that. And we would like name characters and stuff based on Elvish and whatever. But we like, I, I, I didn't really get into them. And then the Lord of the Rings movies came out and I went and saw the first one. I'm, I must have been what, six, 16, 17? I was a teen. Yeah. Um, and I went to the first one and I fell asleep during it. <laughs> Wow. And, I, Ooh, and that's the best one. I, and I woke up when Kate Blanchett freaked the fuck out. That was a really weird way to wake up. Um, <laughs> and I didn't see the other ones. But then since then, I have sat down and watched the extended editions like once a year. And I love them. So I have yeah. no idea why I fell asleep during that one. Maybe I was sick. Um, but I definitely did fall asleep. And it was very weird. Uh, but I have since seen them several, several times and, and absolutely love them. Um 
And then, yeah, I went and saw the first Hobbit movie, and I didn't see the other ones. Because I was like, I like these actors a lot, but um, I, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know. If you, like, I, I, I just finished telling y'all during, during our Sherlock discussion that I'm a huge Martin Freeman fan. I love mm-hmm. Martin Freeman. And yeah. I was still just like, eh, it was fine, I guess. It, it, it doesn't help for, for me that Tolkien cast tend to be like, look at these 20 important men. And there's maybe one woman over there. Oh sure. yeah, where they had to literally create a uh, woman, uh, a fe- a, an elf character for the Hobbit movies, otherwise you would have been completely bereft yeah. of, of women there, on the there, screen. There literally aren't women in the Hobbit if you read the book. Like there, yeah. there aren't, and so that's that's the other problem I have with it. I was just kind of like, okay, like. Also, as as y'all know, and as listeners probably know, because I've, I've talked about it before, I'm I'm moderately face blind. So you give me like 12 guys with big beards that are all about the yep. same height and the same hair color, right. and I don't know who's whom. And I and yeah, I think it works okay in the in the novel. Uh, uh, sorry, by the way, to anyone listening thinking this episode was going to be about Chronicles of Darkness based on the title. <laughs> uh, we, we swerved you there, didn't we? Talking about Chronicles uh, of Hobbits. Yeah, Chronicles of Hobbits. <laughs> Hobbits towards, Darkness. I think in the Hobbit novel it kind of works because the dwarves have these very Snow White-esque names that all rhyme, they're a bit quirky, it's a fun book. Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah, in the movie, because they all sound identical, they all yep. look identical. Except and... for the one that's weirdly hot. There's like one yeah. that's super hot, and I'm like, <laughs> why are you super hot? Yes, the, basically the one without an extreme number of prosthetics on his yeah. face. Yeah, there's and, like, there's like and... one super hot one, and I'm like, all and right. It always seems to stand about a foot taller than the other ones. But the that everyone just blends in. It's just one big beard with funny voices. <laughs> In the background, oh, yeah, what are you doing up there? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm a northern dwarf, you know, and I'm a southern dwarf, and I've got an axe, oh, I've, got, I've got an axe, I've got a hammer, of course you have, because you're a dwarf, haven't you? Let's go, go jump in these barrels and go on the... Now, you know what what level I really liked in Donkey Kong Country? Or what, what, what level was that? The minecart level. I really yeah. liked the minecart level in... Oh, so you don't mean the minecart bit in uh, Temple of Doom? Then? No, 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 that was too good. I think the minecart <laughs> uh, level in, uh, in in Donkey Kong Country. Let's let's set an entire twenty minute feature of this movie on that <laughs> level. Can we fit Diddy Kong in? No, but we can put Barry Humphreys as Goblin King and then <laughs> literally cut the Goblin King open in a children's movie and disembowel him. It's one. It's a str- oh, please, it's- please keep going. I I want this to be the whole episode now. I want just Matthew describing the Hobbit for the next hour. Like that's all I want in my life right now. The Hobbit movies next to the Transformers movies next to the Pirates of the Caribbean oh. movies for me uh, uh. give me some of the strongest uh, whiplash that also leaves me feeling nauseous when I consider the content. Because I'm no prude, I don't mind there being I don't mind there being gore or violence, sexual innuendo or anything like that in any given movie. If the movie is that kind of movie, if it's that genre. I think mm-hmm. we mentioned a couple of episodes ago when we were talking about horror RPGs. Uh, right. that if you sign up to watch a horror movie, you can expect to see horror, but you don't want to watch your average daytime soap opera. And for all of a sudden there to be... Actually, there are serial killers and daytime soap operas, but you don't often see people being butchered. And those movies have the most jarring uh, and and contextless 
jumps from trivial humor to bawdiness to people dying in horrible, horrible ways, and then straight back to humor again. Transformers uh, 2 has a testicles joke. Yeah, oh, Transformers 2 is the worst I don't, one. It's the, I don't only talk about it. <laughs> it's the only movie I have ever walked out on yes. from the cinema. Uh, and uh, admittedly, I got to see it for free because I actually went to see the much probably worse Devil's Rejects before, which I paid for. And I went to see that. And because it was one of these multiplexes where when you leave the screen, you could, if you were an honest person, leave the theater but i instead looked around saw oh there's another movie starting soon and there's no one manning the door so i'll just go in i'm sure it's not gonna be full up and sure enough it was transformers 2 and no one was there i had nothing else to do so i sat down started watching transformers 2 got about halfway into it got about as far as the testicles joke the and the incredibly racially insensitive uh, transformers and thought Okay, yeah. Uh, I will just catch a train, maybe read some comics instead. <laughs> yeah. I've only walked out of one movie ever, and it was Team America World Police. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that my roommates that. made me go see. And then I was like, 15 minutes in, I was like, I'm out. I'll, I'll meet you guys later. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a, that's a valid choice for a walkout movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was one of those where I, I, I was like, I don't want to see it. I have no interest in seeing it. My my roommates at the time were like, come on, it'll be fun. You know, I was like 18 or whatever when that came out. And I was like, all right, fine. And I went and saw it and I like 50 minutes and I was like, I'll be in the arcade or like I'll, I'll be in the mall or something. Like, I'll just talk to y'all later. I'll just say, I'll say things that we don't we don't walk out of is the Chronicles of Darkness because we love the Chronicles of Darkness. You know, the reason we're here today. That was about as good of a segue as uh, Robert Evans is on Behind the Bastards where he's like, he's like... <laughs> All of all of his ad segues for those who don't listen are like, if you want something that won't murder your children, uh, products and services, <laughs> like every time. Right. It, 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 I I figured I had to kind of jump in because because we have a lot to get through today. Um, I want to talk about the helmet. Save it for the Christmas episode that we're never going to do, or maybe do. We'll see. We better know. do it. Our <laughs> holiday specials are my favorite episodes. That's fair. Okay. Yeah. Why? Anyway, why, no, why right? watch no, the no, no, no. Stop, 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 stop. When you stop. could listen to us talking. Stop. <laughs> Matthew, I will cut your mic off. <laughs> we have a lot to get through. Um, so, the premise of this is that um, on our Discord, uh, Matthew had asked what kinds of episodes people would like to see. And someone suggested that a deep dive into Chronicles of Darkness, which I did the math on, would take about 12 hours to do. Um, so, with our digressions, 18 hours to do. So <laughs> instead of a deep dive into the, all of the Chronicles of Darkness, instead um, we're going to do a quick tour of the, of the Chronicles of Darkness. Um, so to give you context for how big Chronicles are, um, there's the Chronicle of Darkness core. There's actually a game line. Uh, um, you know, it has its own books. There's Vampire the Requiem. There's Werewolf the Forsaken. There's Mage the Awakening. There's Prometheus the Creative. There's Changing the Lost. There's Hunter the Vigil. There's Geist the Sin Eaters. There's Mummy the Cursed. There's Demon the Descent. There's Beast the Primordial. And there's TV and the Renegades. That's 12 games. And brief. Um, That's fine. We are not going to do deep dives into all of these. In fact, some of these we actually already have done deep dives into. Um, we did a deep dive into Vampire the Requiem way back in very early episode, I think. Um, and then we had uh, Eric Zawadzki on to do a deep dive on David the Renegades. But we do want to at least give a high level of each of these. For people who may not be familiar with Chronicles of Darkness, you can listen to this episode. They can 
fast forward 10 minutes in and then actually start getting a really good kind of overview of, of Chronicles as a whole. Uh, so um, I'll just kind of start picking people at random. Uh, but uh, Dixie, uh, since you're uh, the person who kind of handles Chronicles Darkness in-house, uh, could you give us a brief overview of what the Chronicles of Darkness is? Yeah, of course. Uh, so Chronicles of Darkness uh, started out in 2004. And it was created to kind of be a World of Darkness-esque game, but without all of the plot and all the background. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, there, there are backstories for the various clans and factions and things like that. But unlike in World of Darkness games, you don't have these major characters that carry on and are doing things, whether or not it's happening in your chronicle. Um, so mostly it's it's not even our world, but darker, which some people still like to try to like force on the chronicles. It's just our world. Right. Um, you're just seeing the creepy stuff that happens. Um, the Chronicles games, especially for Tui, which is of course what I'm most m- most familiar with, and we're going to probably stick with as much as we can today for the ones that have yep. a Tui. Um, mm-hmm. They they were made to be even more toolboxy than the one ones. Um, so really, it's it's yes, it's a game, but unlike things like Exalted and Vampire the Masquerade and stuff, where they give you all of this background and all of this history and all this culture, we try to just give you the tools to play the game at your table. Um, it's 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 a little more sandboxy, a little more toolboxy, right? And and that allow that flexibility allowed us to do things like say the Contagion Chronicle books, um, where we can actually mm-hmm. stick bits and pieces together. Um, uh, uh, Matthew, you worked on the Contagion Chronicle thing. Do you, th- you think that Contagion Chronicle is something you could have done with Chronicles that you couldn't necessarily do with World Darkness? Oh, definitely. I mean the. So I guess it's a two-pronged answer because Chronicles of Darkness lends itself more easily to crossover because there isn't the inbuilt, I guess, hatred and uh, territorial invasion that seems to be constant in in the big three of World of Darkness anyway. Right. And also stuff uh, like how do you get Wraith in there, like, easily. Yeah. Like, it's yeah, not easy yeah. to get Wraith into a game of, a, you know, vampire. Yeah, Wraith and, to a lesser extent, changing the dreaming operate mm. in their own worlds uh, quite sure. a lot and uh, Chronicles of Darkness doesn't really have it so the areas where Chronicles of Darkness excels as crossover are in the combined system uh, the fact that, that each game handles the same traits, the same core traits anyway and all operates around that core storytelling system uh, and each one has essentially bolt-ons for what is their flavor of Chronicles of Darkness, whether it's vampire, werewolf, mage, what have you. Um, mm. And now conversely, the second prong is World of Darkness does cross over well because the creatures are all written to be interlinked. Now, that wasn't the case when World of Darkness was first written, that all the games were supposed to act independently, but of course with 2nd right. edition and subsequent editions, it was, there was more and more vampires and werewolves feuding, vampires doing deals with mages, vampires mm-hmm. and wraiths, of course, with the Giovanni Chronicles and so on. So under a blood red moon, yeah. Yep, yeah, under a blood red moon, the red sign, anything with the word red in it. And <laughs> yeah, it, true. It, it resulted in in a setting where crossover, I guess, was explicit, but wasn't terribly functional. Whereas uh, uh, Chronicles of Darkness is the opposite of that. It's uh, implicit, but very functional. 
mm-hmm. because they all exist in the same world, but in a book of Vampire the Requiem, there's not much of any reference to how changelings work because you'll get that in Changing the Lost. Right. Um, and another thing that I think uh, uh, is somewhat distinctive for Chronicles is there are plot elements that also show up in bits and pieces across the games. Mm-hmm. And one of the bigger ones is the God Machine. Ah, itself. the God Machine. Um, which is, if I'm remembering correctly, uh, the God Machine. The, the, we did a Chronicles book about the God Machine, but basically it's there is a machine that kind of runs everything on the supernatural level, but no one completely understands what it is or even how to get access to it. Um, so there are, you see bits and pieces of how the God Machine interacts with the other game lines as they pop up. And sometimes it never gets mentioned, but mm-hmm. the idea that there is this overarching element that that can unify the games if you want it to. Yeah, it, it definitely appears uh, most obviously in Demon That Ascent. Right. Um, but it is seeded throughout the games and you can interact with it or not as you will. Like if mm-hmm. it, 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 it's one of those kind of, it's almost the Chronicles version of like Gehenna. Like if you right. want to interact with it and, you know, have a big world changing event, you can, or you can mm-hmm. just never talk about it or see it. Yeah. It's, it's funny because some of the criticism that Contagion Chronicle has received is from fans who don't want to put the God machine in their game. Mm-hmm. And want that feature to be the crossover feature. But it's interesting to me as a designer because while the God Machine is, I suppose, the headline for what uh, fulfills crossover in Contagion Chronicle, each individual setting of the Contagion Chronicle deals with a different type of infection, a different type mm-hmm. of, of contagion. And very few of them overtly refer to the God Machine. Because, yeah, why should vampires or or sin eaters or deviants know a damn thing about the god machine? All they know is their ghouls are sick or blood mm-hmm. no longer tastes as good as it once did. So it's, it's one of those things where I guess it can be an obstacle to play or it can be an incentive, but it shouldn't be the, uh, from my perspective anyway, it shouldn't be like a division. It shouldn't be because the god machine is there, I don't like it. You should be able to just remove it, and the game still works just as well. Right, exactly. And I mm-hmm. think that's sometimes a challenge because uh, Chronicles Darkness was originally closely linked with World Darkness. In fact, it originally was called World Darkness. Yeah, um, back, people... back when there was NWAD and OWAD, or right, CWAD. Yeah. Classic World Darkness and New World Darkness, as I remember that debate. Um, so a lot of people still, I think make assumptions about how Chronicles works uh, because they didn't have another frame of reference. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it was originally, it was positioned as a reimagining of the original game or set of games. And so they said, okay, well, if it's not explicitly split, otherwise we assume it works as the original games worked. And over time it has evolved into its own distinct horror setting that actually has all new assumptions Mm-hmm. And it's it's hard to divorce, especially when I mean Chronicles has been around for almost twenty years now. So I mean it's got its own legacy and, and history and community and people who use it in their own ways. So I find people who came to Chronicles Darkness fresh 
uh, I have no problems with the, oh, I'll just throw this out. I'll put this in, I'll slap these together. I'll connect these two games up because that was very much the design intent. Whereas people coming from World Darkness, classic World Darkness into this are like, well, of course it, I can't just toss Kane out of my game, you know? <laughs> so I, I think that that is a, a big part of it. You're absolutely right. Um, but another thing that's, I think, distinctive is that there are groups that, just don't exist in World Darkness Center and Chronicles. There's a lot more, actually. Um, like, let's take Promethean, for example. Um, okay. That's a game that doesn't get a lot of love, surprisingly enough. Which, it's, really it's so good. Game. It's such a good game. Uh, can you give me a summary of it real quick? Uh, yeah, so in Promethean, you are playing uh, characters that are made. You're essentially playing Frankenstein-esque characters, although there are several different types of them. Um, mm-hmm. And you are on a journey to try to become human. And there are a lot of things you have to do to become human, uh, and you cause disquiet among people, which is just, you know, you people can tell something is wrong about you. So you're constantly mm-hmm. on the move, um, and yeah, you're just trying to go through all these different works to become human that are all based on alchemical practices. Uh, and it's super, super interesting, and I like it, but I, I, it, it, it's hard to find a game of it. You're, you're, you're right. And I think it's one of our more experimental games, and the other thing I like about Chronicles is that mm-hmm. sometimes some of the games are experimental or distinctive in ways that the World Darkness games either didn't do or did in very strong ways. Like, either the game is really disconnected and kind of distinct, like Orpheus or even, to a degree, Wraith, mm-hmm. um, or they kind of get shoved into some form of, of mold. And where I think there's uh, a Prometheus was middle grounds where it's like, it's a perfectly fine game on its own. Um, um, in fact, there's lots of people I know who are Promethean fans and just really love that game. Um, and it's also very naturally kind of slotted into with the other Chronicles games. But the whole idea of not only the arc to become human, but also that being a, a distinct game mechanic. Mm-hmm. Um, is is really kind of interesting. Another, actually, a good example um, is uh, Mummy of the Curse, specifically the second edition of it. Um, uh, Matthew, I mean, you you and the team took some pretty strong design decisions with that. Yeah, uh, I mean, Mummy and Promethean have a lot in common because they they are victims of the strength of their predecessors, in a mm-hmm. way, uh, mm-hmm. where... Games of D&D, Pathfinder, Call of Cthulhu, well, not Call of Cthulhu, but let's say D&D and Pathfinder, are all about rummaging through dungeons, traversing different places, and going on adventures. And so then comes World of Darkness and Chronicles of Darkness, Vampire, The Requiem, Forsaken, Mage, The Awakening, which are all about being located in a central place. Mm -hmm. So you're always interacting with the same NPCs, you're always inhabiting the same territory, you're getting to build a city, which is as much a character as the characters you are playing now you come to promethean and and mummy promethean's all about moving around Uh, you can't stay in one place for any given time because you will essentially ruin it by your presence which means Mm -hmm. there's a different Uh challenge on top of the storyteller and the players when you are running and playing promethean it is a completely different experience to the average storytelling game and then you've got mummy where as you say we took some strong design decisions because you're not just moving geographically you're moving through time in Mm -hmm. mummy the curse and so that is still a feature of the first edition of mummy mind you but in second edition it's a strong it's not linear yeah Yeah. exactly Uh, and it's also uh, not tied to a specific like time length 
Yes. Right. Uh, so yeah, you can jump forward and backwards, sideways. You can repeat the same era if you particularly want to. And so your characters will always start off with diminished memory, and the only people around you that you can trust are your cultists, your Sadiq, your immortally bound servants, essentially, who will still retain memory and can travel with you through various rituals relating to canopic jars, organs, and being reborn, that kind of thing. Now, it means, as, as I say, there is a different challenge, but I also think, as you say, Eddie, it's it's experimental. It's interesting. Right. Chronicles of Darkness gives storytellers and players an opportunity to really break out of this one city, one story mold of some of the other World of Darkness and Chronicles of Darkness games. And it's something I know my gaming groups really appreciate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like if if you need to lessen that load at the table, I think that going around uh, between all the players and kind of letting people choose where to go next is an easy way to do that so that you as the storyteller aren't having to kind of be like, okay, I got to make up a new city, got to make up a new place. Gotta make, but like if you turn to, you know, Promethean A and say like, hey, where do you want to go next? And it's like, oh, this small town in Kentucky or whatever. Cool. Right. Let's go there. And Oh, I want to go to Boston. The say, okay, I know what Boston is, you know? Yeah. And, and that's the thing, you can, in Promethean, you can keep going around in a sort of a triangle, if you like. Um, yeah, you, yeah, you can't stay in one place for too long, but if you have, like, four mm. places you're bouncing between, great. Yeah, uh, so yeah, if you want to jump between Boston, New York, and New Jersey, uh, you know, um, or Philadelphia, just keep jumping backwards and forwards between them, it means you have a greater roster of characters, but you also get the satisfaction, again, something we were talking about before we started recording, of recurring villains and supporting mm-hmm. characters. Right. Uh, mm. Where I've not seen this person in months worth of play, maybe years worth of play. And that can, again, be immensely satisfying, I think, to players when you reward their investment in the plot by reintroducing a story or a character or a setting that they remember having visited a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Right. And and then with someone like Mummy, you can do that on a temporal level where um, you have a conflict as an adventure with someone who hates your guts and you have no idea why. And then you jump backwards in time where from their perspective, it's the first time you met, but from your perspective, the second time you met. And so you conflict and then you give that character inadvertently a reason to hate you when you met in the first time. And that yeah. kind of different ways of reoccurring things. The, the very first Mummy Chronicle I ran had one of those those stories where you you are at odds with a rival, another mummy, you're both competing over the same thing. You know you hate each other, but you don't quite understand why. And so mm-hmm. when you've recovered your memory, that you realize that at one point you were both in the same Moretz or that you were brothers, and when you were alive, you were as close as close can be. And you know that the next time you wake up, you're both going to have forgotten this and be condemned to the same destructive cycle. Right. Because that's tragic and horrific and fun in a game of mummy. Which um, is what's interesting versus like Promethean. I kind of like how we're just tying two of these together, which I, this is this a, a cool way to talk about Chronicles. Um, yeah. Is that Promethean has an end game. And it's mm. one of the very few Chronicles lines that has an end game. Like the, right. that's, that's not common to our games. Usually they're built to where you just, you can keep playing until you're done playing, you know? That's that's fine, mm-hmm. uh, but with with Promethean, if you become human, that you win, you know. And like, if you want to keep playing that, if you want to turn it into a Chronicles game and say, "What the hell did your Promethean do?" Now that now they're actually a person, that's mm-hmm. that's interesting to me. But also, it, it it does have an end condition. It can take five years of real world playing to get there, 
And right. it can take one year. It depends on what your obsession wants to do. But yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and kind of uh, similarly in terms of, um, we were talking about taking concepts kind of, of, of playing with them a bit, you know, the reoccurring villain, the, the travel game. Mm-hmm. And um, another game that does that well, I think, is uh, Beast of Primordial. Um, mm-hmm. because that's a game where you're... All of our games evolve, you're playing the quote-unquote monster at some level, but Beast of Primordial is the most explicit of those. Um, you right. Know, you, you, have, you have a hunger, and you have to satiate yourself. Uh, and there are... Your antagonists are characters called heroes that arise and start hunting you down. Um, and it's interesting because, like, this originally was a dragon pitch. I remember when we were first talking about it, the idea was, like, how do you play dragons in the world? Oh, really? Like I didn't know that. Or, yeah. And then it became um, like and, primordial Cthulhu creatures. Right. Because we realized that the um, dragon didn't quite work. Totally just wasn't working. Right. Um, uh, and so we, we, we kicked it around a little bit. So like, you know, lizard people. And then I quickly realized, oh, that's a, a, a racial trope. We don't want to do that. Yeah. Um, and then there's other kick around. But then ultimately, but, but the, the dragon slayer archetype is still met in there. That whole heroes hunt down people. Um, and don't even quite know why uh, it plays into the why do knights slay dragons mm-hmm. because they're dragons and then okay you know, play the opposite of that and realize that's not okay <laughs> yeah yeah it, it, it really is about playing the antagonist the, the typical hero story uh, which I like like I like that the night horrors book for beast is called conquering heroes <laughs> yeah it's a very nice play on words mm-hmm. it, it is it, 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 it's, it's a it's a I don't want to say it's a fun way, but it's an intriguing way to reverse that dynamic in a way that has not been explicit, I think, since maybe even very, very early Vampire the Masquerade. Mm-hmm. Um, because even pretty quickly, Vampire the Masquerade kind of became its own thing, and it became good vampires mixed with vamp- bad vampires. But, you know, this is bringing it back to you look in the mirror, you're, you, 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 your body feels weird to you. Um, and there are people that hate you because of that. Um, there, there's also kind of a teenage coming of age story to a degree of that as well yeah um so uh uh, there are lots of areas of chronicles darkness where we've had the opportunity to try to um do new things i'll briefly mentioned also deviant the renegades falls in that category um uh, deviant the renegades is kind of our you know whereas beast was how do you fit dragons and beasts into chronicles darkness um Deviants a little more. How do you? What happens if you try to make superheroes in this world? Yeah, it doesn't work out well. No, it doesn't. It's uh, bad for everybody involved. And that's it. That's 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 one thing that I want. Like, I know B sometimes gets a bit of a bad rap, um, mm. but like all and I think it's because it's one of the more explicitly like you are feeding on people games. But yeah. like most of our games have that. <laughs> yeah. Like they're horror games, and you're not playing the good guys generally. Um, right. You are playing the bad guys. Generally, even in mm-hmm. Hunter, there's a lot of like, how does this fuck you up? Or what if you kill someone who actually wasn't terrible, you know, etc. So they are mm-hmm. horror games. Um, and Beast gets a bit, bit of a bad rap. And I, I think it is just because it is so explicit what, what you're doing in there. Right. Um, but like, that's the point of the game kind of is that you're you're not the good guy and i feel like with vampire and with werewolf with a lot of other games um whether it's world of darkness or chronicles people tend to make themselves the good guys no matter yeah. what they're doing um even if you're manipulating people you're 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 feeding off people whatever but you're fighting the worst vampires like i i even seen people play sabat games where they're like 
well, we're the good guys because the Camarilla are fascists, you know? Right. And it's yeah. like, okay, but that's not really the point of playing a Sabat game. <laughs> like, you're not the good guys. Um, right. My my current V5 game that I'm playing uh, with, with, with my friends, like, we're doing good things, but we have to keep reminding ourselves that we're not really the good guys here. Like, we can mm-hmm. try to make our city a little better, um, but we're still going to eat people at the end of the day. That's not, Absolutely. you know, a great thing you should be doing. And actually, um, uh, I want to loop back a little bit because uh, you mentioned Hunter uh, the Vigil. Yeah. Um, and, and that's one of the things that I, a lot of people I know ask about Chronicles. Like, what is the difference between playing what we sometimes call vanilla uh, Chronicles? Blue Book. Where you just pl- Blue Book or you play a, play a, a mortal versus Hunter the Vigil. It's like, well, you're also playing a mortal. What's the, the big difference? And for me, I, I'm, I'm, Hunter's one of my favorite games. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I've always loved about Hunter is the fact that there's a, a intentionality. That's different. Yes. Um, it's one thing to live in a world where horrible things happen and being reactive to that. Hunter the Vigil decides we're going to go ahead and take the fight there. Mm-hmm. And how does that change you as a person? Yeah. Like how does that affect your job? How does that affect your life with your relationships and things like that? And how does that affect you as a person? Like Hunter has a lot of, uh, you know, talking about things like PTSD. Um, yeah. Because maybe you just saw a werewolf eat your friend and you can't tell anybody that aside from people mm-hmm. who also are hunters. Um, and so that's, that's rough. Like that's, that's an easy thing to do. Like, do you, do you still go to your day job at the hospital the next day, knowing that someone just ate your friend? Like that's, that's right. fucked up. Um, and like my, my main difference is that, yeah, Chronicles is, Chronicles is great to play all the people that live in Sunnydale who aren't Buffy and her friends. Like right. they, they kind of know weird shit happens. Like, they allude to it occasionally. They kind of be like, yeah, this town's strange, but I don't know why. Maybe they saw one bad thing one night, you know, like some of the, the, the extra characters that, that, that you meet through Buffy. But Hunter is playing Buffy and her friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. that's, they, th- th- those are fundamentally different. Like, if you were just a person living in Sunnydale, um, you see lots of people throughout the series who are like, yeah, I always knew something was weird here, but I don't really know what it is. And yeah, Buffy and them know what it is. And they are fighting it. Right. I, I feel like the edge for Blue Book Chronicles is your investigators. Yeah. Whereas Hunter is your hunters. And those are two different actions. Yes. Yeah. And then spilling over into uh, Beast, then you have Heroes mm-hmm. on top of that, yeah. uh, which is Hunters taken to a... They're, they're a different shade of Slasher, mm-hmm. in, yeah, they in are. my view. Um but I think Hunter is a fantastic game for running at conventions. I've I've run Hunter oh, really? Vigil at conventions many many times because it's ideal for Monster of the Week game. Mm-hmm. True. And the inbuilt mechanic of, of tactics, if you can express it to players at the beginning of the game, that your group or your cell of hunters is functional because you know how to do this really well. You, the last time you had to take down a werewolf, one of you did mm-hmm. this, one of you did that, and another one pulled the lever that triggered the vat of acid or something right. like that. And and it embeds in their mind, okay, so we may not like each other, but we know how to work together as a team. And then you essentially go on your hunt, your investigation, your hunt, and maybe your slaying, and they will start to work together like the gears in a machine. And afterwards, you then present them with the repercussions of what they've done. I suppose in the simplest sense, it's they've killed a werewolf, then they see it change back to look like an incredibly innocent 
young person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, oh no, what have we done? Uh, and Hunter has an immense amount of, I guess, relatable depth to being able to play mortals presented with traumatic situations, right. sometimes traumatic, and and having to cope as best as they can, let alone you know, make good. It's it's a game oddly for all of the Chronicles of Darkness games, I fi- find it's one of the most pessimistic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When compared to even a game like Vampire the Requiem, uh, or Well for Forsaken, I think Hunter is an incredibly grim game. Yeah, times. well, you... Uh, but ultimately, it t- depends on the tone you want to aim Well, yeah, because like you're, you're fighting against things that ultimately are stronger than you. And they're always going to be stronger yeah. than you. Um, no matter what you do, you know, as, as far as your... Your your teamwork, your 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 cell, your combat, your conspiracy, whatever it is, at, at at the end of the day, a vampire is stronger than a human, and that's just how it is. Um, so you're always going to be the underdog in fights unless you work together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like one one single hunter cannot take on a vampire, really, unless they're maybe very good with like traps and things. Right. It I, and I find it interesting how hunter. I don't know if we've ever really done this with any of our books. There's some of it in the Horror Recognition Guide for first edition Hunter the Vigil. But I sometimes like to imagine you stick two of the protagonists from these games in a room, you know, on chairs, sat opposite each other, and they can talk to each other about anything mm-hmm. without about anything without striking mm-hmm. each other. And you put something like a hunter in a room with a um, beast from a well, beast the primordial, and the hunter will quite rightly say to that monster, "I have to, sl- I have to take you down because what you are doing is ruining mm-hmm. people's lives. Sometimes you're killing people; you are literally devouring people. Mm-hmm. There is nowhere on my moral scale where that is acceptable." Uh, to which the primordial in response is saying, "Well, I didn't choose mm-hmm. to be this way, Not- and there are hundreds, maybe thousands of my kind out there." And we try to do the best we can. We try to target the most vile of society. We don't try to prey on innocence. When there are beasts that prey on innocence, we try right. to take them out. And, you know, what would you have us do? Just all eliminate ourselves so that the world is a better place? To which the hunter would probably say, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's... Uh, I, I like that there are some... There are some I guess places of communal interest for the protagonists in Chronicles of Darkness, but in others, it's like the lines veer off and above and below each other at various points where it was. It's very difficult to justify finding common mm-hmm. ground for for a long period of time. Uh, I like that kind of moral quandary in a game. And it's interesting you brought that up because I think the best game to play with where you can kind of explore that more is probably Demons of Descent. Um, mm-hmm. Because that's a game where you explicitly are taking on a cover. You're, you're infiltrating society. Uh, you are um, a, 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 someone who was a minion of the God Machine. You have broken free. And now you have um, a cover you're trying to maintain inside society. And so that is a character opportunity where you have a huge amount of chance to actually interact with uh, different elements of the Chronicles of Darkness and, and learn their perspectives because you have to, in some level, blend into those perspectives. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's 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 interesting because people familiar with Demon of the Fallen a lot of times will be like, yeah, I don't know about Demon of the Descent because it's it's such a different game. It's it's it very sci-fi. Um, I I think they call it a game of tech technostic espionage. Yeah, where you are one of the unchained. Um, and yeah, like that's that's the one that really does deal with the God Machine. Um, pretty much all the time, and it's fascinating to me. I think it's such a cool take on angels and demons that mm-hmm. I hadn't really seen before, you know? Um, and yeah, all the all the clockwork stuff and all the like tech stuff, which, you know, usually t- you, you talk about God and angels and demons and you think of divinity and clouds and, you know, happy angels with wings. And this is right. very much not that. <laughs> it's a very futuristic yeah. take on it. Yeah, you, even though it's still set in today. Right. Because the God machine is just an mm, ineffable uh, machine. Go ahead, Matthew, I'm sorry. No, no, no. Uh, I'm sorry. I, I was about to interrupt. Uh, it's Demon of the Descent really brings to the fore how many of the protagonists in Chronicles of Darkness are lying to themselves. Uh, there are mm-hmm. some that have to be honest to to survive, such as the Prometheans we mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could maybe put Sin Eaters in that camp as well. But most of the creatures, including hunters have to lie to themselves about what they're actually doing and the length they're prepared to go to to get what they want to to survive and demons ostensibly are among the uh, are among the few arguably good guys uh, to be very general about it because they have broken (laughs) free from the shackles of the god machine that's surely Mm -hmm. a good thing and yet they are then embedding themselves in mortal families, misleading people into making them think that they are human, that they truly love them, they're erecting cover identities, they are uh, basically setting up a long con Mm -hmm. for all of the humans around them that when they disappear is going to leave this cavernous hole that will ruin lives, and angels will cut through these people to get to you. So just by erecting this this shield of mortality around yourself, you are setting them up to be attacked and sabotaged and have their lives ruined. Right. All because you are that desperate to be free. So... I re- again, it's something I really love about Demons, and it's one of the, my favorite things reading the uh, God Machine anthology. In fact, there's a mm-hmm. couple of stories like that in there. And for my money, Demon and Descent is one of the most readable Chronicles of Darkness games because mm-hmm. those stories are just so compelling. Uh, as mm-hmm. a as a reader, you can imagine that Matrix style of existence where, yeah, you're free now. It's not great. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, pretty yeah. much. Yeah, you're not now in a utopia. <laughs> it is kind of matrixy, actually. Hmm. Um, and again, one of the things I love about Chronicles is that sometimes it takes themes. Each game can spin those themes differently. And so you talked about how Demon, it's about you, you escape from something horrible and you try to make a life for yourself. Changeling time? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Eddie, that was very Eddie, similar. You were doing the best job at all these segues. I just want to shout you out. Like, <laughs> the first one was rough. <laughs> I mean, getting two Chronicles was rough, but once we got onto Chronicles, every time you're just like, like <laughs> speaking of escaping something, and like, okay, perfect. I can, I, I can see where you're going. I, I'm along for the ride. Like, you're, you're doing great. Yay, I prepared for this one. That's probably why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but this this is not how we said the conversation was even going to go, and we're just like doing yeah, it, and true. I love it. That's true. Um, Thank you so much. But yes, tell me about Chron- I, know, I know you're a huge fan of Changeling. I love Changeling so much. Um, when is this episode coming out? Can I play my Changeling game? 
Yeah, next week. On the 4th? Yeah, okay. So on the 11th, I'm actually doing a Changeling the Lost one-shot on the Onyx Pass I think it's going to be on the 11th. We're still waffling a little bit on the date. We talked a little bit Mm. about it here and there. But sometime next week, I'll I'll be doing a one-shot with some of the folks from Gehenna Gaming, and I'm super excited. Um, Changeling the Lost, at its heart, is a game about escaping from trauma and healing from that trauma. So the Mm. purpose of Changeling, which I could talk about for like five hours, you're going to have to cut me off at some point. Um... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> is that you're a human, you are taken by the Fae, and forced to play some role for an amount of time. It can be, because you're you're in fairy. it can be really weird. Like, maybe ten years passed in the real world, but you only felt like you were there for a day. Or maybe you felt like you were there for a hundred years, but only a week has passed in the real world since you left. Mm-hmm. Um what what you're forced to do can be it can be a whole bunch of different things. Like maybe you were forced to make watches. Maybe you were forced to be a mirror. Maybe you were forced to be a statue. Maybe you were forced to be someone's, you know, escort that took them to balls. Like there's 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 so many things that that you can have been. You you could have been a tree, um, mm-hmm. but one way or the other, you escaped or in the process of escaping when you start your game. Um, you've 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 gotten through the hedge, which is the kind of gateway in in into fairy. It has its, its whole own ecosystem. I fucking love the hedge. Um, <laughs> and you have left, but your keeper doesn't want you to leave. So they are right. trying to find you. They're trying to bring you back. They're sending huntsmen after you. You're on the run. And to make things more complicated, if you try to go home, generally a fetch has taken over your life. Um, so a fetch looks like you to, to everybody else. Um, but you can probably see that they're actually made of like sticks or buttons or glass and crystal because um, they're not a real person. Um, but, they, but maybe, maybe they're actually doing a better job at being you than you were and you decide to leave them yeah. there. Or maybe they're doing mm-hmm. terrible and you're mad at how they're treating your partner. So you try to take them out. But how do you explain that? It's, it's, it's very interesting. Um, so a, a lot of it is about readjusting to the real world. You're constantly looking over your shoulder unless you manage to actually take out your keeper, which is not easy. Um, And then there's also different factions of changelings. There are some that want to burn down every single entrance to the hedge and just say, like, no, no more. You can't take us anymore. Um, You can also still create them. So that's not a really feasible solution. Um, Mm -hmm. There are some who have a bit of a Stockholm Syndrome thing going on and they actually want to go back. Or yeah. they they feel loyal to their keepers and like what do you do with that? Um, there's a ton of different what we call seemings to play, and also a bunch of different kits to lay on top of that. Uh, mm-hmm. So your options for creating a changeling character are pretty infinite on some level, especially because yeah. I have seen what we're doing for Kith and Ken, which is an upcoming source book for it, and there's like mm-hmm. thirty thousand words of new kits. Um, I, th- wow. I think there's about nine for each uh, for each re- re- regalia. I almost said for each seeming, which is not how we do it in two E. Um, but there's mm-hmm. like nine for each regalia. Uh, so we've, we 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 have a bunch more kits coming out. I'm actually, if you watch my changeling one shot, whether in VOD or live, I'm going to be playing one of the new ones that has not yet come out. Nice. Yeah, I'm super excited about this one. They are kind of a the opposite of a mirror skin. Oh, they, nice. they, they, they tell you all the hard truths about yourself. Oh <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and that's one thing I've always kind of liked about changing the two observations people made about changing, both of which are kind of on a, we talked before about how a lot of these games allow you to explore 
real life through, through these metaphors. Yeah. Um, uh, one um, which, which I know Ethan Scamp, the original designer for Changeling, really loves was that each of the four seasons, each of the four courts that right. you play of map to four of the five stages of, of guilt. Um, acceptance is not one of them. You never get to accept. Yeah, they're all they're all they're all stages of grief. Yeah, stages of grief. Thank you. Sorry, not grief, not guilt. Stage of grief. Um, so each ultimately each character is grieving on some level. But can never close that loop. Can never come to acceptance. Um, but the other one is that change on some level is what it's like to live as the next con. Yeah, when, you, when you're outside of prison and how do you live life now back in the real world when everyone looks at you differently and, and yeah. you can't adjust to real life because you can never be part of that life again. Yeah, no one was waiting for you. No one mm-hmm. has a job ready or a house ready for you. Mm-hmm. You are essentially dumped on the street. And the only only comrades you have are people like you. Uh, similarly lost individuals who have uh, broken free from their keepers. I, I, I think that it's a really nice metaphor. Um, because your entire existence as a changeling, or a lot of your existence, is a struggle until the time that you get to meet your own people. Yeah, you know, it... you've joined your own society now. It isn't all horror and heartache. There is right. also great joy to be found in the fact that you have found others who have been through what you've been through or similar and mm-hmm. you can start making new futures with them. Yeah, it is very much about found family, also. Mm-hmm. Um... And like, because of the, the the time passage thing, you can also play a character who maybe is from fifty or a hundred years ago, and right. you've just been kept in Arcadia for so 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 long, and now you're turning around and you're like, wait a minute, like <laughs> uh, everything's different. The whole world is different, and that's that's a bit different than how most people play it. Most folks play them as as, as fairly modern characters, right. but it's it's definitely possible to be a character who was taken in like the eighteen hundreds. And then mm-hmm. maybe two months has passed for you, but you come out in 2020 and you're like, what the hell? <laughs> I, I once ran a uh, convention one shot of Changing the Lost, mm-hmm. which I called When Brave Boys Go to War. And it was, I played around a little with the metaphysics of Changeling Mm -hmm. in that uh, a lot of young men who were fighting on the front lines of various wars uh, across time, I think stretching from the Great War to Vietnam, uh, were all snatched up by this warmonger, True Fei, who just wanted lots of painted wooden soldiers uh, mm-hmm. to fight in his wars. Uh, he was just a, a war gamer uh, on a grand scale and would so snatch uh, soldiers on the brink of death or on the verge of doom and pull them through the mud or the jungle or the trench or wherever it was that they were, make them lost, mm-hmm. come over to them, and now you will fight for me and you'll fight for me forever. And don't worry, if your leg gets blown off, I'll just bolt a new one on. And the the story had these characters, of course, escaping. And the story largely took place in the hedge as they were trying to make their way out of it. That's a mm-hmm. really, really good one shot. It's just going yeah. through the, just, the Durant. Yeah, the yeah. escape. And, and trying to uh, negotiate with you know people who wanted to come with them, people who were going to betray them. And they got to the precipice, the point where they were able to reemerge into their own world. And we're faced with the possibility, and the way I played it with, if we return to our world now, we may well be returning at the point that we left. And at the point that we left, there was a 
bombshell literally descending on the hole that I was in, or I was surrounded by Viet Cong, mm-hmm. or the or the trench was filling with gas, mm-hmm. and they had to choose again a rather morbid choice, admittedly, of do I stay here and fight in a war forever, or do I go back to my real war and take my chances at mortality, knowing that I may have a few seconds to spare. It was a really emotional game, but Changeling is fantastic for games that can that evoke emotion from players yeah. without a doubt. Probably, the, probably the best Chronicles of Darkness game for that, just from its header alone. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and I think another game that gets close to that in the sense that um, it still deals strongly with emotions, it's so strong with human tragedy, but you're slightly out of remove and also have more agency over it. Uh, is Geist of Sinators. <laughs> As soon as you start your segues, I start to like sitting here going like, guys, guys, okay, he's going to do guys next. <laughs> Would you like to tell us about Geist? <laughs> sure. Uh, <laughs> so excited about it. In Geist of Senators, you play a senator. Huh, mm-hmm. weird. Uh, which is somebody who has made a bargain with a Geist, um, which is a ghost uh, that has some kind of unfinished business generally. Mm-hmm. And you've made a bargain, so they kind of inhabit your body. Um, although they, they come out, they show up, they don't. It's There's a lot of metaphysics that are very, very weird in Geist. Um, yeah. But you you also are kind of dead. Like, you died, and at the moment of death is when you made this this bargain. Where the Geist was like, okay, I won't let you actually die, but you have to take me with you. Mm-hmm. Um, so you are now bound to this Geist. Uh, generally, you are doing things like solving supernatural crimes, or trying to put things to rest, or trying to get your Geist to rest. Um, you can go... A little bit in and out of the underworld, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of what you're doing as a sin eater is generally investigating supernatural issues mm. and hauntings and things, and trying to save people. Yeah, it's kind of at its heart. Um, I love the idea of it because you get to design your your, your sin eater, and you also get to, to design your geist. So it, it can be pretty much anything. Uh, I mean, it's going to be a humanoid-ish ghost, but yeah. Well, and one of the things I love about Geist is that um, it does a really good job of striking that balance because at the end of the day, like you said, you're making two characters. Yeah. Um, and, and you're usually predominantly playing the Sin Eater. Mm-hmm. But it's the only Chronicles Darkness game where the title of the, the, the first title of the game, not the subtitle, but the first title of the game is not actually the character you're playing. Yep. Um, the Sin Eater is the character you're playing. Geist is your your kind of ancillary character. But because everything is you're, – you're, you're dealing with a lot of people who have already died or who are in the process of dying or um, – it, it's a different way to approach death that, than Wraith does, and it does it by putting you kind of at a distance. Um, you're, you're a person who escaped death, mm-hmm. uh, so so you don't actually experience it. Unlike Wraith where you've gone through the other side. So it's, it's kind of Wraith in reverse, which is really fascinating and interesting. Yeah. yeah I- one of my friends describes it as Make a Wish, the role playing game, uh, because <laughs> and, and, and not not in a uh, in not in a cruel way either. Uh, because we, my group, are really fond of games where there is an ounce of optimism in all the darkness, mm-hmm. and we we try and pull that out of both Wraith and Geist when we play. And Geist the Sin Eaters has it in spades. I yeah. feel if you kind of know where to dig. Uh, the there is something incredibly cathartic when telling a story of being able to satisfy someone's final wishes yep. or to be there for someone as they're about to pass on 
or to mm-hmm. essentially ferry them over to the other side or whatever your character concept should be. And it can, you know, again, it's a game that can carry with it strong emotions, um, especially given the past year. The, yeah. uh, the, But we have always found it incredibly uplifting to be able to do that with a role-playing game. And Geist of Sin Eaters is... I guess what we that's what we get out of it the most more than anything else there is a sense of uplifting at the end of a chronicle mm-hmm. it always ends at a point where we can look back on the things we've done even though some of them may well have led to the downfall of other people right. that we did our best and we helped our target achieve something or we helped our geist achieve something to give them more peace uh, because they're permanently restless spirits they, you know they, they are constantly in need of something but if we can satiate that for a while maybe we can live our lives for a while and take some joy out of that so yeah it has, it has a joie mm-hmm. de vie that many of the other games don't have yeah most certainly also, with, with, with a lot of our games, Big Geist as well, I, I do always recommend if people are kind of stuck on how to use the game, um, if, if we have fiction for that game, check out the fiction. Because yeah. uh, the Death is Not the End, the second edition anthology that came out fairly recently, th- this this year. Um, I think so. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's back in like April. That one is super, super good as far as like showing a bunch of different ways that you can use the game. Mm-hmm. And actually, um, uh, uh, the fiction as a way to kind of understand the game was really helpful for me in trying to understand uh, Mage the Awakening because it's very much a game about investigate, investigating the supernatural. And right. I'll be honest, first edition was a little muddier on that front. Um, it wasn't as clear, but with second edition, that was brought much more firmly in focus is that you are the uh, 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 Doctor Strange or Constantine character of someone with magical ability who's investigating weird and um, uh, outre uh, supernatural mysteries and trying to resolve them. In a way, it's kind of similar to Geist of Sin Eaters, um, but it's larger in scope. There's much more kind of your... I think it's probably our most epic of the Chronicle games. Um, yeah. There's lots of, of larger scale things. There's, there's bigger mm-hmm. concerns, lots of uh, the fate of the world hangs in the balance kind of stuff. Um, oh, no! Some fun politics between... Uh, uh, mages and the like. I mean, considering it actually has a stat about hubris. I mean, it makes sense that um, if you're constantly dealing with the weight of the world on your shoulder, naturally you're going to think more and more of yourself and how powerful you are, and that mm-hmm. can be actually be a problem. Um, so, whereas Geist keeps you kind of grounded on the the human cost of mysteries, um, Mage is slightly a step away from that and and gives a different kind of perspective on. Um, if everything is esoteric and uh, large scale, do you start to forget the details? Do you start to forget the smaller scale stuff? Um, so, uh, right. which is funny because in a way, Awakening is very different from Ascension. Because Ascension is all about, well, this is, yes, we study this stuff and it's amazing. You know, of course we can overthrow scientific method, you know, <laughs> kick down the door <laughs> of, of the hegemony. Um, it's all about addressing and combating big scale concepts and awakening is like, yes, but is that really a good idea? So it's, that's one of the few games I think that's more of a direct refutation of its world darkness analog in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, not in a bad way. They're both very distinct games, but I have a lot of the other games I've seen people like, Oh, I love 
Requiem and Masquerade. Oh, I love Forsaken and Apocalypse. I don't see many people who love both Ascension and Awakening with equal fervor. Um, yeah, I think that's fair. They're usually pretty distinct camps because they're doing very different things. Even like, like you just said, people who love Wraith and Geist, you could love it because they're approaching the same idea from different ends. Right. Mm-hmm. But they're still kind of giving the same core, that emotional core around our human understanding of death. But Mage the Awakening ultimately some level is like the stuff that you think is cool in Mage the Ascension is actually a long-term problem. And maybe you shouldn't do that. I thought you were going to say, speaking of our interpretation of death, Vampire the Requiem. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going there, to. Right? You're lo- losing your step. <laughs> uh, you're, you're anticipating my segues. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, but I mean, yeah, uh, uh, Vampire the Requiem is probably the opposite of that is that it is the closest to its world darkness analog. Um, there's it's still, it's, it's a lot walls. less now, but there's still yeah. some explicit DNA. Yeah. In Requiem. Um, and, uh, maybe Matthew is the, as the, as the vampire expert, maybe you can tell us a little bit about Requiem. No, oh, the vampire expert. Thank you very much. Eddie. Oh, I do consider you an, a vampire expert as well, you know, oh, thank but, you. Thank you. but, but as, as you just covered mage, uh, the, so vampire, the Requiem, uh, does, uh, does share some DNA with masquerade. Of course, uh, most obviously within the clan names and some of the trait names, right. But especially with second edition, it really finds its own identity. It has started building its own world, uh, mm-hmm. dare I say, of darkness within Chronicles <laughs> of Darkness, <laughs> uh, where, where, where the political and philosophical structures that uphold vampire society, the, the dance macabre and so on, of, of Requiem are really its own thing. And there's a hell of a lot you can interact with. It's no longer the sense that you have a skeletal toolbox without much flesh sticking to it. Mm-hmm. I find that second edition, especially with its source books, although the core book does a damn good job of this, of really evoking the mood of second edition uh-huh. um, through uh, through art as well, notably. Uh, I think second edition just gets stronger and stronger through each additional source book to really lay down exactly what Requiem is about, which at its simplest is a street level of of sex and blood and smoke and and a certain amount of uh, fast-paced violence. Uh, There's a lot of emotions running high. Vampires in Requiem are certainly more passionate. Passion really Mm -hmm. kind of governs a lot of what's going on in Requiem more than Masquerade. And it's sometimes difficult to describe Requiem without comparing it to Masquerade, but I think Requiem Second Edition does such a wonderful job of forming an identity for itself as a game which is on one hand grimy and greasy and down in the gutter, and another is debauched and decadent and just everything that could be fun about being alive forever mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and 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 being the top dog and at the same time having this awful vice this awful these awful urges that mean eventually you are going to be back down in that gutter again you're never going to stay in the palace for long right. i think that yeah, Requiem plays between those two peaks so remarkably well. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, um, 
every every book i think for second edition is a delight in its own way yeah i know that a, a lot of people um shout out damnation city as just mm. a good city building book yeah like whether you're going to use it for vampire or not it's just a good city building book for an rpg and that came out in like oh seven i think yeah, I was pretty yeah. early in it. Run. Uh, I think, critically speaking, and by no means do mm. I turn my nose up at uh, the first edition books, because I, I remember picking them all up when they were brand new, and I still love them. But Damnation City seemed to be the point at which Requiem thought, okay, time to imprint my own identity. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think it's a very and, fair point. And after Damnation City, you do get books like The Dance Macabre, you do get all the clan books for Requiem. The clan books were so pretty. Honestly, they were kind of a 1.5, really, as you said, yeah. Yeah. moving into second edition. Yeah, because I... And, of course, you have yeah. your Rome-based books as well, your historical mm-hmm. ones, and they're, they're amazing and very rarely get mentioned now, which is a shame. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And actually, um, another game I think really benefited from that second edition upgrade that, that, that really helped to kind of bring the themes that were the original game kind of struggled with is, is, is World Forsaken, because that was, it was just on the cusp um, it, it it was re- realizing that they needed to make it more distinct from Apocalypse, but it hadn't quite found its feet yet. But then Second Edition again, much like Requiem did, uh, it saw the signposts that it was pointing towards and really leaned into that um, policing the spirit world vibe that makes Forsaken particularly distinctive. Yeah, uh, I think um, Apocalypse Apocalypse has a very strong identity. It has an incredible sense of self in terms yeah. of its environmental and social justice aspect, mm-hmm. which, um, you know, there are plenty of contrarians out there who say, when did it start getting like this? Well, <laughs> since its first edition. Day one. <laughs> Whereas Forsaken first edition, I guess, and this is me being critical now, I would say Requiem First Edition had a stronger sense of self than Forsaken First Edition. And it wasn't that Forsaken First Edition was trying to mirror Apocalypse. It just seemed very vague about right. what it wanted yeah, to be. Yeah, yeah. But I think that looking at the first three is a great example. Because like Requiem was very much kind of, let's make this as close to the game that we made before as possible. And it had a strong identity, but a lot of that identity was kind of cribbed from Masquerade. And you even pointed out that it's still, even to this day, hard to talk about Requiem without contrasting it with Masquerade. Um, yeah. And I mentioned Mage was almost a direct refutation of the game it was based off of mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. So you have the, um, the, the the sad middle child of, of Werewolf where it's like, it has such a strong identity, it can't possibly... Um, it can't, it can't possibly embrace that because it's so distinctive. It's It, it changed werewolf fiction from the 90s on, frankly. Um, it, yeah. it, it, werewolf fiction didn't really have a strong identity until after Apocalypse, and now so much of werewolf tropes come from and some level Apocalypse. So how do you work against that? How do you go a different direction? And so first edition, yeah, was it was it was it was good, it was fun, but it was muddy. And second edition yeah. kind of really helped to, to pull that together. It's like, here's how the Urathra are different from the Guru and how they're distinctive and what they're doing. Very much so. And it all comes down to the pack more than anything else. It's in second edition, the focus on the family units, essentially of you and your fellow players and the way you function together, the different roles you take, the relationships you have and the devotion that you have to the territory that you have either selected or been designated to protect 
makes it feel more like a werewolf game than Apocalypse, to my mind. Uh, it's interesting. I mm-hmm. th- I, my feeling has always been that Werewolf has struggled, whether it's Apocalypse or Forsaken, to gel with the mass audience because fiction and media in general don't portray werewolves as much more than slavering beasts. Right. They they don't often have much of an opportunity to express who they are, their struggles, and whether they are questing for anything beyond the fact that I'm trying to stave off this change. Mm-hmm. And, and shifting into a monstrosity that you can't control every full moon isn't fun. So you have to kind of impose a society on that to make them function. And in Forsaken, it is all about all about family because it's the family that keeps you together, and it's all about change and the way the world is changing, the way the spirits are changing the world, the balance that you need to maintain. Uh, it's all about the different phases of Luna and the different phases of your shifting. Uh, and again, trying to find some kind of harmony in the middle of all of that that allows you to to function as a, as a thoughtful and rational protector, but also be the apex predator of your region. You are responsible for ensuring that no one bigger and badder than you enters and tries to take over this patch of land that you have staked out Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that means it isn't just about being the good guys you aren't just the 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 cops that are looking after the spirit world you are also being a a drooling wolfhound that is occasionally going to tear at the throat out of something else because it Mm -hmm. made the mistake of walking into the wrong part of the city one night and yeah, uh, I think, uh, especially as far as it goes in terms of spirit world depth, and I can talk about Forsaken for a long time, so I'll shut up soon. But <laughs> <laughs> You're like me and Changeling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, a bit. Uh, the amount of depth that Forsaken goes into in terms of spirit world, the Idigam, the and uh, I'll give myself props and uh, Chris, Allen, and Leith Shields too for the uh, Shunned by the Moon bestiary. Uh, the mm-hmm. Night Horrors book for Wealth of Forsaken Second Edition just hugely fleshes out that world and I think gives yeah. hundreds of possible stories that you can spool off from it. So, yeah. Right. And, and uh, uh, I think that you bring up really a point is that um, Apocalypse ultimately, in both games, you're angry, which is really, I think, key for any kind of werewolf game is, is tapping into that primal rage that anger is really, really important. But for Apocalypse, you're angry at the world. And the mm. world is dying, and so you're you're angry at everything. A bit like Mage, where it's like you know, you're angry at corporations, you're angry at institutions, you're angry at the worm. These mm-hmm. huge mythic concepts. Whereas with Forsaken, uh, you're angry at anything that threatens your family, anything that threatens. So so th- so the threats are more immediate. Again, it's 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 not small stakes in the sense that they're not important, but they're much more intimate stakes. And yeah. so that anger becomes much more uh, uh, connected to you because like it, it, it's one thing. I mean. Recent years have changed this perspective a little bit, but it's one thing to be angry at large institutions and feel like you're powerless against them. Um, but it's another thing to be angry and really want to defend your 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 right in your home. Uh, so yeah, we did it. We got through everything. We got through all twelve games. We didn't Great talk ass. much about Deviant, for what it's worth. We barely mentioned it. To be fair, also. Uh, um, to, be fair. to be fair, to be fair, we did have uh, Eric uh, talk uh, a lot about Deviant. Uh, it's an excellent episode that I encourage people to go back to and check out. I'll link it in the show notes. Well, Deviant's super um, cool. That's all I'm going to say. 
and also Deviant's not out yet. So I mean, it, it, it's like but we're working on Dixie. it. It's improving. It is. Dixie, I have one question for you about Deviant. Oh, how many renegades are there? Is there one, <laughs> or are there many? There are many renegades. Is Deviant okay. the renegades? Deviant the renegade. <laughs> All right. Okay. Just wanted to check. It wasn't like some branded drink that Deviants like to imbibe. <laughs> like 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 Gatorade. Yeah, the Renegade. <laughs> oh. No. No. Uh, and on that oh, bombshell. Yeah, ended, yeah, it ended all of this on a bum night, didn't I? <laughs> oh, we were watching, um, just because just I have to share this with you on the podcast. Uh, have either of y'all watched Blood of Olympus on Netflix? No, I haven't. I keep seeing it advertised no. at me. It's, as far as me and my boyfriend were concerned, it's aggressively okay. Like it's aggressively okay. It's 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 fine. I, I didn't think it was great, but several episodes use what can only be described as farty horns in the background music. Um, especially have once you, you get past out, like episode five. Okay, have you checked out our favorite composer to see whether he was maybe hired? No, no, I didn't check on that. I probably should, but uh, I mean, I'm, I'm sure plenty of people are capable of finding that function on their Casio keyboards. <laughs> but who would dare? Yeah, there are just some really weird sounds in the background. It's I think like episodes four or five through the end, because um, it's it's like eight episodes, I think. Uh, yeah, there's just some some farty horns going on, and every time they happened, I was like giggling about it and i'm like this is a very it's it's, it's an incredibly gory show like it's not a kid's right. show in the slightest um it is it, it's 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 gross as far as how gory it is it's a decent little plot it's kind of fun i liked it wasn't great good voice acting um decent animation but like it wasn't as compelling as i thought it might be but uh, holy crap, the farty horns were, were there in full force. Obviously, the, the composers for the show listened to the Pathcast, recognized how much we love farty horns, and decided to introduce them just to make sure that you would hear them. Oh, yeah, we should have started up a hashtag. I'm sure if we had, <laughs> if we had, farty horns would have been an everything from the next series of The Expanse <laughs> to, uh, um, yeah, kudos to you, Green Ronin, by the way, in the Expanse role-playing game. Uh, through to, I don't know, what's a popular series right now? Better Enola Call Holmes. Saul, waiting for, uh, Enola Holmes, there you go. That would have had at the start, yeah, while she's cycling along, addressing the camera. Just... <laughs> <laughs> uh, excellent, excellent. So that's a much and better on, note that, to end on. Yeah, notes. The Holmes estate wouldn't have sued them for that. I, I'll have you know, Sherlock Holmes never listened to Farty Holmes <laughs> in 221 Baker. <laughs> I think it is important at this point to make absolutely clear, fuck the ACD estate. Anyhow. <laughs> and that's ACD, have, the Arthur Conan Doyle estate, not ACD, the distribution company, or... No, no, we love, no we love the distribution company. No, I'm talking about the Arthur Conan Doyle estate. Um, I have strong opinions about them. Uh, but if people wanted to talk to you, Dixie, about Farty Horns, where would they find you online? <laughs> uh, as usual, you find me at Dixie Cyanide on most social media, DixieCochran.com. You know, I'm Matthew? around. Uh, I'm on MatthewDawkins.com, and do check us out on the Onyx Path Discord, as mentioned. And there's a Pathcast sub-channel on there, and we love to hear your suggestions. I should make critiques. a Farty Horn emoji. You really should. I was trying to find a good horn emoji. We didn't have one. 
Um, and you can find me at uh, pugsteady.com and through there you get access to all my social media accounts um, as that. As Matthew mentions, um, we are also on Discord and the uh, Pathcast channel. Um, it's a good place to chat with. Actually, it's really a really good place to kind of just get in touch with us and we can have this conversation. Um, so we're also usually hanging out on Twitter, but one of those two places you could find us. Um, uh, and next month's going to be interesting. Um, we, we, we have been talking about the fact that there will be a holiday episode. We don't know what that's going to be yet. Um, we keep talking about it and not coming to a decision on that. I'm going to tell everybody about baseball. Oh, we did mention Blazeballs, right? We were going to have some conversation about Blazeball and also possibly. We're about going to try to explain Blazeball to Matthew. I was wondering if we should just do a watch along with The Hobbit 3 and it's just <laughs> us providing audio commentary, like a riff tracks. Um, wow. Um, yeah, we'll all just watch it. And, I haven't and seen two. I don't think it matters. Nothing happens. <laughs> Literally nothing happens. But Benedict but Cumberbatch is a dragon. Uh, he's still a dragon in the third one. Right. Okay, good. Um, uh, from what I understand, I've not he's seen it. He's the chattiest dragon in the world. Oh, my God. Le- <laughs> but he goes solving crimes. It's actually... <laughs> yeah. um, With uh, Martin Freeman, yeah, right? Yeah. I've seen that Legolas, show. Uh, uses a shield as a surfboard. In the, <laughs> That's in the second one, isn't it? Yeah. And uh, there's <laughs> a... There's a barrel ride. There's a barrel ride. Six Flags Great Wait, America. Wait, there's, there's another barrel ride in the third one? <laughs> no, no the second, the second one. one. No, the barrel ride's in the first one. Is it? Yes. In that ca- no, no, no. The, uh, I'm pretty damn sure the barrel ride's in the second one. I know you haven't seen the second one, but I'm still pretty damn but sure. But I've seen the barrel yeah. ride scene, and I've only seen in the first that, one. You may well have seen it out of context, or they have another one. Because from my memory, the first one... I know we just finished the episode, but my memory, the first one has that fucking minecart in Goblin Town. And the second one has the barrel ride and the surfing... Oh, okay. So the the minecart and the barrel ride are different things. Yes. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, yeah, you've got a lot of dwarves tucked into barrels, just yep. bobbing along in, yep. on white water, you know, rapids, yep. while Legolas is sort of jumping oh. on their heads and firing off tens of hundreds of arrows all at the same time. Right. So they do that uh, twice. Yeah, it's fucking Why? Possibly. Who knows? Well, no, because there, there, there is some kind of weird, like, minecart thing in the first one. Yeah, yeah, that's where they are in the Goblin Town. Huh. Uh, so if you want to argue with us about the Hobbit, you can find us on Discord in the Pathcast channel, <laughs> where I have just posted some party horns. Oh yes, hooray! Um, uh, Dead Man's Rust is still going on right now. Um, so uh, go to Kickstarter and back Dead Man's Rust. Um, we actually just played a game of Dead Man's Rust. We mentioned it right before we recorded it right before recording this, but we'll probably be available. It's available on Twitch now. It'll probably be available on YouTube soon, and we're still figuring out how we're going to make it available on the Pathcast. Um, There's so, no barrel ride in Dead Man's Rust, which I there feel is, was a missed opportunity. Clearly, we have to go back and add that in editing. Um, yeah. To add a, a, a three-hour barrel ride scene into our three-hour adventure. Make it six hours long. Um, I'm tempted now. <laughs> don't be too tempted. Uh, so, uh, thank you all for riding along on our barrel ride through the uh, Chronicles of Darkness. And as always... Many worlds, one bathcast. Mm.